Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, I have with me Joe Wallace. Uh, Joe is the global ECD at Media Monks and founder of Good Girls Eat Dinner. Uh, she's also amassed a plethora of accolades in her career, including campaign and creative equals 30 creative trailblazers, uh, the Dots 100 trailblazers, Young Creative Council's Badass Girl, uh, Pitch Magazine Superwoman, um, Joe, you also made the 40 over 40 list and were named one of Yahoo uh, heroes, heroes, uh, top 100 role model women executives. And finally, you were a finalist in campaign and IPA's Women of Tomorrow Awards. Um, it's not even mentioning the fact you've won a gold can line and other things, um, but I'll stop there. You know what you've won. Um, I just wanted to you know, tell other people, but welcome, Joe. Hi, thank you for having me. I think I got through that quite well. I, I didn't mess <laughs> Sorry up. Sorry to have such a list. Well, I was going to make it short, but I was like, you know, these are all good things to to tell people about um, if 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 they don't know who you are. But anytime I ever mention you, people are always like, I love Joe. Um, so, uh, you know, that's good. You're, you that's seem nice to have a lot of love out there in the in the industry. So um, it's really good. Um, I wanted to start with those accolades, though, um, just just for fun. Um, what, 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 what one's your favorite? Um, you know, which was the most unexpected? Um, well, it's always great to get recognition especially when it's as a result of other people putting you forward um in all honesty I don't really dwell on them long enough to have a favorite but I think it's fair to say that a gold can line is the most widely recognized as a mark of outstanding work um but that said I'm I'm not really someone who lives for awards I mean of course the gold can line trophy is on a shelf um, but the thing that makes me laugh the most is that my wife regularly uses it as a balancing weight when she exercises because uh, it's very, very heavy. Oh, so is is it solid gold? Is this what we're saying? Or, I is like gold, is solid, so. solid gold heavy? It must be heavy. Actually. <laughs> I think it's probably iron with some plating or something like that. But I like to think it's solid. Okay, nice. I, th- I thought there was like many, many uses for it. It'd be like, oh, I use it for a kettlebell or, you know, wife uses it to, <laughs> I don't know attack attack foxes or something i don't know like, yeah, good doorstop as well yeah <laughs> that's what people say about oscars right like they're like oh yeah you know I, I just use mine as a paperweight or whatever um i guess after a while what do you do with them um i suppose yeah with with awards you know is it is it strange like um i'm sort of dwelling on this a little bit but like you know you step into a room and people are like oh my god it's you know it's multi multi-award winner joe like uh does that ever enter your thoughts when you're like talking to I don't know, junior people you encounter in, in the workplace? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for a start, there's a there's a lot of people that have won a lot more awards than I have. Um, I don't know whether there's really any genuine fame attached to advertising awards. I mean, like I say, it's brilliant to win them, and I'm really proud to have created work or led work that picked them up. Um, but I think they're a bit of a, a bonus rather than the main thing. I think... I'd rather kind of be known for work that's effective and talked about. Um, and often, you know, that kind of goes hand in hand with winning awards. You like to think that the main point is it's effective and it gets talked about and has a result for the client. And then the kind of icing on the cake is that it wins awards as well. Mm. I, I guess maybe I was thinking about it. There is not necessarily about the awards, but like, um, Maybe it comes back to like a sort of a reputation thing, um, you know, and sort of um, 
do you ever think about that like when you're sort of going through your career like you know sort of managing how people see you or do you just it is does that is that like a highway to nowhere and it's easier just to focus on your own work and how you're interacting with people I think what's really interesting is if I do hear like for example when you said oh when I say Joe Wallace people say I love her and I would never imagine that that's going on so it's really surprising but lovely to hear that kind of feedback and without sounding like I'm blowing my own trumpet I have heard people say really lovely things about me and it is wonderful I don't have any idea how you control that other than just being yourself and I like to think that throughout my career you know I've kind of had to learn as I go along how to be the kind of leader I want to be um I didn't really have any female examples I didn't want to just try and be a man um even though I had wonderful male leader examples so I guess I kind of worked out who I wanted to be as I went and I think I'm really comfortable with um just being myself and being you know there for my team and helping them do the best work they possibly can um and I think it's kind of paid off mm. it's kind of interesting because it's like um you know it's like is there a, a sort of a, a way to be a nice a nice leader or a nice person in business um without uh you know um being seen as a pushover versus you know that kind of like you say that the sort of the manly approach to leadership where you're 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 you got your big swinging uh, manhood, shall we say, um, as you're entering the room and you know dominating conversations, etc. And like, you know, I suppose like your marketing advertising, like, is it? It's often seen from the outside as kind of a cut, a sort of cutthroat in industry and environment. You know, I guess on the agency side, pitching, pitching for business, etc. And then you know, just trying to manage clients and things like that. Like, um you know that sort of nice way to be I guess it does pay dividends but is it a sort of a, a fine line is it a tricky thing to to kind of navigate or is it just sort of that's just how you are and that's how you've always wanted to be I think um it's impossible to kind of pretend and play a part so even if you go into a meeting thinking right today I'm going to be like this after several minutes no one's going to be able to continue to act so unless you are an Oscar winning actress or actor, you're going to just revert to being yourself in the end. So I think it's far better to become comfortable with yourself. And then that will kind of become um, evident. I think it's also really key that you consider who you're speaking to, because different people need different kinds of leadership. Um, not to say that you are a different leader with different people, but some people will need more support some people will need to be kind of listened to a lot more than others and I think it's kind of having that emotional intelligence to work out what different people are are needing in order to then I just want ultimately if I'm working with teams I just want them to feel their most comfortable and their most creative um, no one has great ideas if they're feeling terrified for example so you know, you want to make sure they're feeling comfortable, supported, um, that they can speak to you about work. You know, if it isn't a great idea, then we can discuss that. You don't have to be kind of harsh about it. You can just say, well, that's probably not the best one. Let's look over here. Have you thought about this? Let's go this way. 
Um, but then when they do have a great idea, make sure they feel acknowledged for that and kind of um, rewarded and thanked. I think this industry doesn't necessarily thank people very much. Um, and if someone has a great idea and that leads to success for everyone, I think they should be thanked. Mm, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting one because also like some people really respond to praise, don't they? And 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 others are kind of like, oh no, yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm I don't mind. Like like um, I always um, my partner always says that with that they're a, like a freelancer and they sort of say, you know, they they actually really love it when you know anyone says that their work's great. Like even if they feel like they haven't, you know, it, it was an easy thing for them to do or a hard thing, or whatever, they still kind of want that acknowledgement. Um, and they're, they're, they're sort of already reached like a senior point in their career. Um, but I guess like, especially maybe when you're coming up the ranks, et cetera, you know, it's like, uh, you, you probably doubt yourself and like, are you on the right track? I was, I was going to ask, so you mentioned like emotional intelligence. So they're like, are there things you've learned over the years that have kind of helped you develop that or is, you know, any, any sort of, I don't know, insider information? <laughs> I think, um, to a point it's a little bit, you either have it or you don't, but I also, you know, I, I happen to have trained to be a coach and I happen to read loads of books about kind of the psyche and I studied psychology at A level. So I think advertising is a really interesting career for me, particularly because I love art, I love writing and I love psychology. So it's literally the kind of three favourite things meeting together. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I find people fascinating. So without sounding creepy, it's not like I'm studying people, but I think you kind of quite quickly and naturally work them out slightly and then you get to know them more. Um, I think in terms of there being any tips, I think I am quite naturally a listener. Um, I'm naturally very introverted so I am that person that tends to be in a meeting and I'm not trying to say tons. Um, I'd rather listen, observe, work out the lay of the land. And then you're, I think you're better set to, to have a positive impact. Um, obviously, that's not how some people go about things, but uh, it seems to work for me. So it puts me in mind of, uh, you know, when you see like in a fight scene and there's there's like the one ninja that's just not fighting. They're just standing quiet and you, you know they're going to do something good at the end. They're just waiting. And then, uh, yeah, they come out with the killer moves once they've seen everybody's uh, game plan and how they fight. And you're like, OK, now I know the stuff. Yeah. So that's where I'm going to start calling you the quiet ninja or something. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I, I want to backtrack. Um, can you tell us what Media Monks do? Because I don't know too much about your your I say your new place. How long have you been there now? Um, a few months now. I think I started in June. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, time blurs, blurs together <laughs> yeah. in, in the pandemic. Like, how, how, have I been there five years? <laughs> yeah, seven years. Yeah. What, what, so what, what, do they, what do Media Monks do? Well, um, in specific terms, the answer to your question is that Media Monks is a digital first global partner to clients. Uh, we offer strategy, data, tech, creativity and production. Um, I think it's kind of safe to say if it happens on a screen, we do it. But we also go beyond that. We go into the kind of realm of experiential too. Uh, I mean, essentially, we help clients from concept to execution across their entire digital marketing strategy. And we like to say that we move at the speed of digital. 
Ah, okay. So that could either be really, really fast or really, really slow, right? <laughs> well, hopefully on a good day when the broadband's all working. <laughs> that really fast in every direction. Um, uh, so are you, are you, do you get involved, are you sort of, uh, you know, very much kind of Web3 and, I don't know, NFTs? Is this all of your sort of territory now or...? I'm sort of bundling it all together. (laughs) I think, you know, people talk about the metaverse and all of that kind of stuff. But mostly I think, you know, obviously I remember a time when digital was a separate sort of world. You know, you had digital agencies and above the line agencies, traditional agencies. And I think the reality is now that there's no such thing as digital. It just is. It is the way that we live. We all live incredibly digital lives and, uh, you know, Gen Z, for example, will spend most of their life in that world. So I think it's really just moving forwards, just as when TV came out, we, you know, became far more aware and in and into that space. And it's just, it's naturally happened that that digital just is, it is everything. Mm. And um, one of the things I mentioned in the intro was so you're the founder of Good Girls Eat Dinner. Or um, that did you found that in 2016? Now it feels like it feels like a sort of long time ago. Now thinking about it, it was 2015, July oh my 2015. God. Yeah, so just over seven years ago, which is crazy. Uh, can, yeah. can you give us a, a quick intro as to Good Girls Eat Dinner? And I think there's yeah. a podcast side of it coming soon as well. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Yeah, so I launched Good Girls Eat Dinner with one simple mission. So it was to serve up inspiring female role models across the creative industries and to do so in a setting that doesn't feel remotely like a conference. Not that there's anything wrong with conferences, but I wanted to do something that was incredibly um, kind of real and sociable and almost not really attached to work, uh, even though it's a very kind of relevant thing to people's work. I didn't want it to be oh, here I am going to something that's outside of the office maybe, but it still feels like work. I wanted it to feel completely sociable. Um, So initially, and for many years, every two months, I would invite four inspirational women to speak between the courses of a meal um, at a range of venues. So I had events at the Design Museum, at Shoreditch House, at the Club at the Ivy, at Circe's at the top of the Gherkin, um quite a lot of in concrete beneath pizza east and each time it would be between 50 to 100 guests and tickets would always sell out really fast so it was a bit of a runaway success to be honest people instantly found it very you know people would come up to me and say I'm so inspired I can't wait to go to work tomorrow or I was feeling really stuck and now I feel like I'm gonna kind of smash it so, yeah, it's got a very unique vibe to it. I host it and introduce the guests. And then, as I say, they speak for just 10 minutes between courses. So it's not as though you're having to sit and listen to people speak loads. You also get to meet all sorts of people who are, happen to be sat at your table. Um, and, yeah, it's got over 7,000 followers on Instagram. It's been featured in Elle magazine, Career magazine. Um, various places and as I say the feedback has been phenomenal and I like to think it's the most interesting dinner party you'll ever go to. Ah very good yeah I think you you said you gave me that line once it sounds sounds good it kind of sounds like mini series of TED talks or something like in Mm. between courses but so how's that going to become a podcast? 
Well, I guess obviously due to COVID, we had quite a huge hiatus. Um, I did manage to do a dinner in April, this April just gone, before the rates went up again. And I was actually planning a huge seventh birthday event for July. And I'd booked speakers and sold over 100 tickets. And as it was coming towards the date, the rates were so high. It was one in 15 people. And I just thought, I don't want people to come to an event. You can't really not uh, be close to one another at a networking event. And it was also going to be inside. So I took the difficult decision to cancel. But it made me think about a podcast again, which I'd had on my mind I suppose the whole time I, I'd always thought, oh, I could do a podcast and never really had. And it kind of prompted me to properly plan and think about it. So, yeah, I've started to to properly look into that and um, I've got some guests lined up. And hopefully the first ones will be the four speakers who I have to cancel um, from the event in July. Okay, well, when uh, when when the pod turns up, we'll you know we'll we'll happily promote it on on uh, Media Cat Magazine. Um, so uh, yeah, sounds really exciting. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask, sort of, uh, just to change tack slightly, but uh, how have you know? Obviously, there's been the pandemic and other things going on, um, and you're you're at Media Monks now. But how have the last few years been for you, sort of career wise and personally, to sort of give you that kind of general question there um for for people that that, that know you that know you or maybe know if you're <laughs> what you've been up to in the last few years yeah um it's definitely been interesting and challenging in parts I think you're kind of referring to all of the stuff for where I was publicly condemned by the Daily Mail in a hate piece with no grounding in truth um and that inaccurately connected me to redundancy decisions that I played absolutely no part in and kind of led me on quite a long difficult journey I mean I received death threats for a start and then had to spend months um, with a fantastic lawyer actually Mark Thompson um, of, of Heath Thompson Heath and Associates and after many months we finally took the Daily Mail to high court and we won. Um, and they, I quote, admitted that there was no, there was and is no truth in the allegations advanced in the Daily Mail article. And they also admitted that they'd illegally used, uh, well, they'd infringed on my copyright and printed pictures of me that they had no right to do. So it was undeniably one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Um, but I like to think it's very much in the past now and I take lots of learnings from it and move forward. Mm. Are there any, uh, any sort of, um, I guess, learnings that, that you'd feel happy sharing with us? Um, I think on a personal level, I've realised that I'm more resilient and calm in the face of adversity than I imagined. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think you ever really know how you're going to respond in that kind of situation. And many of my friends said that they don't know how I did it or they don't think they could have gone through it. And even my wife said she doesn't think she could have gone through it. But the reality is she did go through it because, you know, it doesn't just affect me. And actually, they pulled her into the article too, huh. purely for kind of racist, homophobic 
reasons just to tick those boxes for their readers. Um, you know, and she had to watch me do a Channel 4 news interview with Kathy Newman where I got to finally say a bit of my side of the story, um, which was kind of mad. Um, so, yeah, I think it just really left my core values in no doubt. So alongside creativity and bravery, one of them is definitely fairness. And I was lucky enough to be able to pursue justice. Um, and I think I had no choice, if I'm honest. There was no way I was just going to crawl under a rock and let them leave me and my reputation and life in tatters. I really felt that I just had to stand up for myself and also on behalf of other people that they have come for and lied about and perhaps they didn't have the fortune of being able to take them to court. Um, and so, yeah, I did it as much for everyone else as for me. And I think there was a really lovely sort of groundswell of support. Um, once some of the truth was out there, people kind of got behind me and I think enjoyed the fact that I was going to stand up for myself because we've watched so many people be torn apart with lies um, by papers like the Daily Mail. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, people under underestimate us introverts, I think, you know, mm. we're more resilient than than we first appear. Yes. Maybe it's like hobbits. Uh, probably, <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching Rings of Power recently, you see, so I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about how resilient hobbits are, you know, Gandalf was onto something. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, um, I, I, I want to just move on if we can to maybe it's slightly related to uh, Good Girls Eat Dinner, but um, uh, a few years back, you curated two exhibitions that I wanted to talk about. So there was one called There's a Good Girl and um, the other one, uh, There's a Good Immigrant. Um, can you talk about what they, they were about and how they sort of came to be and, you know, how were they received at the time? Good yes. or bad? Maybe better than these <laughs> days. I don't know, in our toxic England that we seem to be in. <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah, so the first one was at the end of 2014, which now sounds ages ago. Uh, and it was while I was at Saatchi and Saatchi and I was a creative director there and I was asked to give a talk about being a female creative director because if you're not aware um, I think at that point I don't know what the stats are now but at that point only nine to twelve percent of creative directors were women I think maybe it's about 17 percent now but still obviously quite low um, so yes I was asked to give a talk about being a, a female creative director and I and I thought I actually want to reach a wider audience I want to reach people who perhaps wouldn't have come to that talk and who perhaps don't really consider that women can be incredible creatives. And bearing in mind that the advertising and film industry is so much about the male gaze, the male view of the world. So from the writers to the creative directors to the director or photographer to the editor, the designer, the client often. So it has to go through lots of gates of approval um, that's often based on a male viewpoint. So to cut a long story short, I decided to put on an exhibition of female creativity. Um, and as I say, I was at Saatchi and Saatchi at this point. And so myself and a brilliant team of around six or seven, we curated this all-female exhibition. And one of the creatives mentioned a book by Marianne Grabrucker which was called There's a Good Girl. And in it, she had written about her attempt to bring her daughter up in a gender neutral way. 
and to encourage her to reach for the stars. And this seemed like the perfect name for the exhibition. So we reached out to the publisher and they agreed that we could call our exhibition There's a Good Girl. And we had 20 incredible creative women exhibit. So artists, photographers, directors, sculptors. Um, we had people such as Alison Jackson, the infamous photographer who does the looky likeies, um, Pam Glue, Sarah Pope, uh, Miss Cakehead, and Hattie Stewart, uh, doodle bombed our poster. She was huge at the time. She'd kind of doodle bombed loads of magazine covers and she kindly doodle bombed our poster. Um, and we held the private view in the foyer of Saatchi and Saatchi's iconic Charlotte Street office because they were still there at that point. And it attracted a whole lot of press. So not even just inside the advertising industry, but outside the industry too. We had a double page spread in the independent. That was when it was still in print. Uh, it was featured in Style magazine and we had interviews on BBC London Radio. So I guess all in all, we reached a far wider audience than a talk ever could have. Um, and we unofficially created the first all-female exhibition in London because I noticed um, in 2016, the Saatchi Gallery had the first official all-female exhibition. But amongst ourselves, we we're like, yeah, we actually did it first. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. That's amazing. Um if, uh, and 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 then obviously I guess after that there was there was there's a good immigrant. So how, when did that one take place? How how long after? Yeah, so that was in 2016. Um, I was working at Publicis, and Dave Monk, the ECD, said to me, "If you want to do another exhibition, let me know." Um, and I didn't really have anything in mind. And then Brexit kind of happened. Um, and following the vote to Brexit, hate crime doubled against migrants in the UK. And I was really horrified by these stats. And I wanted to highlight the positive impact of migration for British culture and creativity um, to kind of like prompt more conversation around it. So, yeah, I then co-curated a second exhibition called There's a Good Immigrant. Uh, and it celebrated and showcased artists who were migrants themselves or whose work encourages reflections on migrants or they were second generation migrants. So contributors included Bob and Roberta Smith, Dave Bonagidi, who also created the poster, uh, various kind of spoken word artists such as Behind the Netra. And there was also an animated virtual reality piece by Ardman, um, which was so a piece where you could kind of almost go into it and experience the harrowing migrant journey based on real life uh, BBC news stories. Um, so, yeah, it, it joined and further promoted the debate around the importance of diversity in advertising and beyond. And it also raised two and a half grand for the arts charity Institute of International Visual Arts, which is a visual arts organisation that's dedicated to developing an artistic program to challenge conventional notions of diversity and difference. Oh, sounds great. Um, I, I, I guess my obvious question next is, you know, are, are there any more there's a good exhibitions coming, you know, or do, have, you got, have you got any ideas or things you want to focus on? Um, you know, England seems to be imploding and uh, into a hellscape at the moment. So it feels like there's lots of things that could be tackled. I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I would love to do another one I've not given it a ton of thought um but I think if I was going to do one off the top of my head I'd do there's a good leader 
because uh, I think there should be much more conversation around leadership in this country or rather the lack of good leadership. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think um, definitely we would we would fully support anything you do there because um, uh, I remember when you did the uh, There's a Good Immigrant one when I was editor at the Marketing Society and we promoted that and it was really great. Um, I guess, yeah, it's I, not to sort of let up on the heavy stuff, but um, there's uh, a, another uh, campaign or project that you, that you had a hand in during during COVID. Um, uh, abusers always work from home. Um, I was wondering if you could sort of talk about what that was about and how that came to be, um, the reception that that got, because I, I remember that at the time seemed pretty hard hitting and very topical and necessary. Yeah. Um, so that was for the National Centre for Domestic Violence and the NCDV in in short. And we'd already done the Gold Can Lion Award winning work um, for the World Cup, uh, where we'd kind of reimagined flags with um, obviously fans often adorn their bodies with kind of face paint and their and their flag. And we actually kind of flipped that and, and reinvented those flags with wounds and bruises on um, people's skin. So the most um, remembered one will be the England flag, which was a pale lady's face up close and then a dribble of blood from her nose and her mouth that kind of created the, the red cross there. So we'd already done a really impactful, proactive campaign for them. Um, and then when the pandemic hit and lockdown came into force, Obviously, that was great to help halt, halt the spread of the virus. But what quickly became apparent was that it put domestic abuse victims' life at greater risk because now they were essentially locked in with their abuser with no escape. And obviously, tensions were very high. So myself and um, a creative team noticed that reports of domestic abuse were soaring. I think it was 49%. Uh, up during lockdown, according to a Crime Stoppers figure. So we very quickly started to think of ideas and we basically turned the campaign around in, in just three weeks. Um, and we had a female director. It was an all-female team as it happened. And we recorded a film that sort of followed the life of a seemingly perfect family and the impact of abuse in in that house and the fact that you know abusers always work from home and then we simply created posters that expressed the the fact that abusers always work from home and I think at a time when we were all getting our heads around this new world of working from home it really triggered a sort of insight of like oh wow yeah abusers are literally not always but often working from home too so um yeah the, the campaign generated a lot of earned media across news platforms um and also most importantly it led to a 25 percent increase in calls to the ncdv and what they do is they enable people to get a free protective injunction and these can often be life-saving so the fact that they had a you know they, they hadn't had a huge amount of awareness until the campaigns we did for them because they don't have the budget to advertise their services. So 
the fact that they had a 25% increase in calls meant that not only were people now aware of them, but also that the need was very much there. Um, so yeah, that was fantastic. And then it went on to win lots of awards as well, such as a Gold British Arrow, um, Epica Awards and Capels Awards. So yeah, it was really successful. It sounds like the kind of thing that uh, I, I, not, I can't speak for all marketers, but like that a, that a lot of people in marketing get into marketing for to like, you know, have some kind of positive impact on society and, you know, do something that's not just necessarily, you know, just selling stuff these days, you know, mm. um, it feels like a really, really sort of great, great campaign. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. Um, and to all the things that we've spoken about, um, I know we're running out of time. Um, so I just want to, um, finish up with a couple of, a couple of bits of picking your brains finally. Um, so uh, one of the things I wanted to ask was, um, what do you see as the kind of most exciting challenges and, and sort of opportunities for the creative industries today? Uh, I think a part of it is kind of knowing that, as we touched on before, that everything like life just is digital and most physical purchases even involve digital experience now. So I think the line between real life and digital is continuing to blur and for Gen Z, they're virtual identity is almost more important than their real life identity so more and more audiences want experiences to be expressive meaningful and ownable so the challenge and opportunity is that successful brands are the ones that are going to bring meaning and community and cultural relevance to to those audience interactions and I think the important bit there is that this really calls for crystal clear understanding of emerging consumer behaviors and a switched on team to to deliver that work um so you know those diverse perspectives in your team knowing what's going on out there and also at media monks we create a constant feedback loop so between creative data measurement and developing and um, we can tweak that experience live so yeah there's a there's a huge load of potential there that will be exciting to to uncover Good stuff. Um, very final question then. Uh, I guess what what advice do you have? Any advice for young creatives looking to to get into the advertising industry these days? Yeah, I think um, as I touched on before, kind of be yourself and really, really be curious. Um, be sure to keep being inspired from outside influences. Um, I think it's really important, and it's such a basic thing, but you've got to fill up your creativity tank. So whether it's films, exhibitions, books. I think if you aren't filling up your creativity tank and you're kind of just running on empty, it will really show in the work. Yeah, no, that, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, yeah, get out into the world. I think it's always a good one, isn't it? It's like mm. if you're just sitting inside, it's like, you, you, you know, you're limiting yourself a bit. Um, obviously, you can get lots of creativity from, like you say, reading books and staying inside, but there's, there's lots of stuff in the world. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, just thank you so much, Joe, for, for coming on the, uh, the, the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you.